The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning. Uh, today's scripture is going to be from Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 53. You can follow along on the screen or in the Bibles underneath your chairs. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This has been the reading of God's word. So this is our last week in our gospel of our series on the gospel of Luke. It's been uh, nine months. We've entitled it The Cross and Crown. And so what's been going on is for the past nine months, or almost nine months, uh, eight-ish, we've been walking with Jesus through his life, with his disciples. Uh, We've seen from the very beginning, we've seen his incredible birth uh, proclaimed by angels. We've seen uh, him a little bit bit of glimpses into his childhood. And then it kind of goes silent for about 18 years where Jesus would have been serving as a carpenter in the village of Nazareth. And then he shows up and declares his public ministry that he's come to to do good. He's come to... uh, proclaim good news, to give sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. We saw him, uh, he proclaims our need for repentance. He healed the sick. He healed the lame. He confronted Satan and his powers. He raised the dead. And then we saw him begin to head to Jerusalem where he was predicting that he was going to have to die. And then on the third day, raise again. We saw how one of his own people, his own disciples betrayed him. We saw how his own leaders condemned him to a wrongful death. We saw how three days later there was a report as the disciples, his disciples, his followers, as their hopes are dashed and they think this whole thing is over. Then on the third day, there's a report that the tomb is empty. And then some women who were following, who were followers of Jesus said they saw Jesus and then Simon sees Jesus and then two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus see Jesus. And now The disciples are gathered together as they're hearing these stories and they're pondering towards the end of Easter Sunday, what is all the stuff that's going on? Now, Luke is a story that was written by Luke and he wrote it it to his friend Theophilus and it's really part one of a two-part story. Uh, part two being the book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles. Now, now this is interesting to me. So we, we get to the end of Luke and we see Jesus die, and then he's buried, he raises again, and then we, as we heard read this morning, we're going to see today, he ascends back into heaven. Now, but this 
is interesting as this is part one, there's a two letters that he's writing to Theophilus. The second letter, which is Acts, he starts it off by saying this. Now, in the first book, which is the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day whenever he was taken up after he had given commands of the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, that is interesting because... Luke is saying, or Jesus, or Luke is saying that this story that ends, this book that ends with Jesus ascending back into heaven is only the beginning of what Jesus began to do and to teach. Now that's interesting because at the end of this book, he leaves. But Luke's big point that he's making here at the end of this book is that Jesus is not finished. His point that he's making is that this is only the beginning of what Jesus will continue to do and to teach. Not only the book of Acts that we're going to begin studying in June, but even up till this present day. Jesus, even though he ascended back into heaven and his work on earth was done, he is not finished. He is continuing to do his work. Everything that Jesus has done to this point, his, his leaving heaven and becoming a man, in fact, becoming a baby, becoming a, being a peasant carpenter, his, his life, his going about doing good and, and healing the sick and declaring the favorable year of the Lord and then coming to Jerusalem to, to be killed and to be buried and then raised again is only the beginning of what he came to do. It's, he is not finished. So as we see that Jesus prepares to leave this earth and he's gonna say goodbye to his disciples, what we're gonna see this morning is that the big message is that Jesus isn't finished. That's gonna be good news for us this morning. Jesus isn't finished with this world, first of all. We're gonna see that Jesus isn't finished with this world. Jesus isn't finished with his mission and Jesus isn't finished with you or with me. Jesus isn't finished with this world. He's not finished with his mission and he's not finished with you and with me. First of all, we're gonna see Jesus isn't finished with this world. Look at verse 36 of chapter 24 if you have your Bible. So again, the disciples are gathered in the, probably in the upper room or some room and they've heard the reports that Jesus is risen. The ladies told him in the morning, they didn't believe him, and now Simon has seen him, and they, they think something's up, and then two guys show up running from seven miles away in the village of Emmaus and says, we have seen Jesus, he has appeared to us. In verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself, himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. <laughs> now, <laughs> I love this account because it's just really real, isn't it? The disciples didn't say, oh, we expected you this whole time. It says that they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. A ghost is here is what they thought. Somebody's playing mind games with us or something really creepy and crazy is going on because we saw Jesus turned over to the authorities. We saw Jesus whipped. We saw Jesus hang on the cross. We saw him die. We saw the 
the spear pierce his side and blood and water flow from his side. We know he was dead. We saw him go in the tomb and we have been mourning since then. But now Jesus himself stands among them and says to them, peace. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. In verse 38, and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me. Notice these words. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. These are tangible Words For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Why would he show them his hands and his feet? He's showing them that the wounds, the scars are still there. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. Don't you love this, the reality of this? Like, they, they still can't, they believe it, but it seems too good, too amazing to be true. It just, the truth of what is happening just can't quite sink into their hearts yet. And while they still disbelieve for joy and were marveling, he said to them, and isn't just this like not what you expect Jesus to say. Jesus has died, he's been killed, he's been in the grave for three days, he's appeared to the women, he's appeared to Simon or Peter, he's appeared to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, now he appears to them in this room, which is interesting by the way, that he didn't like, he didn't like, I would have appeared like a rock star. I would have like magically made a a stage to appear in the middle of Jerusalem. I would have had like flashing lights and a smoke machine and lasers going off and declare, I am back. But he shows up with them in a locked room and says, hey, why are you doubting? It's me, see my wounds. And the next thing he asks them is, hey, do you have anything to eat? Which honestly, frankly, now that I think about it, is probably what I would ask. <laughs> I would have just been disappointed what they had because I don't like fish. And they gave him, verse 42, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Isn't that kind of cool? You know what's happening here? Jesus is showing them a few things. First of all, Jesus is showing them that he is physical. He's not a spirit that just appeared to them in the room. He's not a ghost. He appears to them. He says, look, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like I have. Look, I appeared in this room and it looks like magic, but it's still me. I am still Jesus. It's flesh and bones who are here in front of you. He sits, he, he asks them, can I give me something to eat? And he eats in front of them. This is, a, this is a huge deal because what this did was it flew in the face of what the common understanding was about spirit and physical because at this time in the in the world just like a lot of times for us like there was this sort of split a dichotomy for people between if you believed in the spiritual and you believed in the physical there was this idea that the spiritual is pure and good and that this earth is kind of dirty and broken and lower than the spiritual 
But Jesus, in his glorified body, he's already gone, he's been glorified, he's risen from the dead, he's standing in their midst, he has, but he has flesh and bones. He's a human being, even though he's still miraculous, we don't understand, he's still God and still man all the same time, but he is still, post-resurrection, he's still man as well as God. Some of us tend to think that, there's a, that, that, that the spiritual is like fantasy and this world is all that there is. And like when you die, you just go to dust and it's all over. Like this, this world that we see here, this ground that I'm standing on, that metal chair that you're sitting on, that's real. And the spiritual is just fantasy or fake or make-believe. And some of us tend to think that the spiritual, like that's, that's real or that's good. And this world is broken and messy and dirty. Like everything involved in this world is all, it's all lower. It's all base. It's all gross. But what Jesus is telling us by his resurrected body, standing in their midst and showing them that he's flesh and bones, he's showing them that this world was created good. God created the world, and at the end of each day, at the end of all the whole creation account, he says, this is good. This world is not yuck and gross and dirty, even though it's in its broken state, this world is good. And we see flashes of it all the time, don't we? On a beautiful sunrise, standing by the ocean, on a quiet, I love to go out uh, in the, I grew up in the country and I was reminded the other night we were out at my, my mom's house and let me tell you, when it's dark there, it's dark. Like at my house, it gets dark and there's like street lights and stuff and like at her house, when it's dark, it is dark, like pitch black dark. But you go outside and it's pitch black dark and you hear the, the insects and you hear the birds chirping and the, the night birds making their calls at night. And I love that. And when, you, when I hear that sound, it makes me think, man, as broken as this world is, there's still, like you hear what it, what it is now and what, it, what we really wish that it, if we could see it in its full glory. This world, he tells us, this world was created good. But then not only do we see that Jesus is physical as he stands in their midst, we also see that Jesus is spiritual. We see the spiritual nature of Jesus' glorified body. He doesn't seem to be bound by time and space like we are. Uh, it, like we mentioned last week in the road to Emmaus, he could have just appeared in Emmaus because we see him just like kind of popping around, like beaming like Star Trek from place to place. But yet he... He's not, he's not bound by space and time, and yet he shows up in space and time with them. The doors are locked. They are still scared, still frightened. They're huddling together. They don't know what's going on, and yet Jesus just appears to them in their midst. He's not bound by space and time. It freaks them out at first, this spiritual nature of Christ and his glorified body. I think that for us this morning, as we look at Jesus, who is both physical and spiritual standing in their midst, that it should give us comfort and hope. You know why it should give us comfort and hope? Because all of us wish that this world is not all that there is. Whether you're a believer this morning and you believe in heaven and hell and God and Satan and the whole deal, or you're here this morning and you're a skeptic and you're not sure about this whole thing, don't you in your heart of hearts wish that this is not all that there is. 
Don't you at a heart of hearts wish that at all the brokenness that you see in your life and your family and your neighbors and on the news and in this world, don't you wish that there was a, a, some sort of assurance that there was a higher power that could come and make everything right? Don't you wish that, that this world is not all that there is, that whenever you close your eyes at death, that it doesn't just end? Don't, you, don't we all have a deep longing in our soul? We do because it's based upon a seed of eternity that God has planted in our hearts, a longing for eternity. So when Jesus stands in their midst, both physical, flesh and blood, and yet also spiritual, he's saying that this, this world was made good, but yet it needs to be remade. Just like his body, his earthly body was glorified and remade. That word remade is also the, the picture, gives us the picture of it needs to be redeemed, it needs to be redone, it needs to be refurbished, it, it needs to be enlivened. Isn't that sort of your experience? Like, doesn't your body, we'll just talk about my body. Look at my body. My body needs to be remade and be redone. I'm getting ready to turn 40 and I'm experiencing how my body is breaking down. I don't have the energy and my body doesn't heal as fast as it used to. It has more creaks than it used to. I know that's where I'm going in the future. Our bodies need to be remade, refurbished, redone, enlivened. And when Jesus stands before the disciples in flesh and blood, yet a spiritual glorified body, he's saying, your body, this world, it's not gonna stay this way. We're, I came to redeem and remake and refurbish the world and you, you yourself. The other thing we see is not only is Jesus physical and spiritual as he stands in their midst, but Jesus is real. He's real. Part of the idea behind something being real is that it's complete. So if something's, if something's real or something's not real, the, the real thing is the complete and whole. It's the, the, the whole story. It's not artificial. It's not imitation. It's genuine. It's fixed. And as Jesus stands in their midst, he is more real than the chair that you're sitting on. He's more real than this building that we're, that we're sitting in. He's more real than the ground that you walk on. He's more real on the sun that warms us. Jesus is more real because he is more complete. He's more real because he's not imitation. It's, he's genuine. He's the real deal. This world will pass away and yet he will remain. Jesus is real in that he created the world and all comes from his imagination and his, powered by his word. He is real. And what that tells us is that the remaking of this world has just begun with Jesus' resurrection. And that's where we're heading to, a remade, real world with a real, Paul says that creation groans, that our bodies themselves groan to be clothed, to be really clothed to be released. Creation groans and waits for the final day when all that is imitation and all that is fake will be swallowed by what is real. Jesus appearing before his disciples tells us that he's not finished with this world. Think about this. When Jesus ascends back into heaven, he sins as a human man. And right now before the Father, is a human 
the God-man making intercession for you and me. And you want us an encouragement for you and me? That he's not done with this world. That all your hopes and dreams as you were younger and you find out they're not gonna be fulfilled, all your longings for something better, he's not done with this world. Jesus stands before his disciples and the fact that he's physical and spiritual and is real tells us and tells them that he's not finished with this world. But then he goes on to tell us that he's not finished with his mission. You see, the reason Jesus came to earth was on a rescue mission. He came to redeem us and to redeem the world itself. He came to redeem the earth and he came to redeem humanity. But now that he's about to leave, He's, remember, he's on the cross and he says, it is finished. But as he's about to leave, listen to what he says, verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, he's talking about the Old Testament there, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He finished the work of redemption on the cross. He's hanging on the cross. He says, it is finished. But yet here, as he's, his work is finished, he's in a redeemed body. He's standing in front of his disciples. Yet he, his wording here is showing that his mission is not complete yet. The mission is still ongoing. He says, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead. That's what he's done. And then at verse 47, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's the mission that hasn't been yet accomplished at this time as he's standing with his disciples. Jesus accomplished the work of redemption on the cross, but his mission, to finish his mission of proclaiming it to all nations, isn't finished yet. His work of his mission is only just beginning He's calling his disciples and us as his disciples to carry out that mission. How is this gonna happen? So he tells us. uh, First of all, in verse 47, he says that repentance and forgiveness of of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. The first thing he tells the disciples is how this is gonna accomplish. This is how you're gonna fulfill my mission is you're gonna proclaim the good news. You know what that means? That your job as a Christian to fulfill the mission of Jesus is to simply tell a story. It happens to be the story. It happens to be the great story. It happens to be a story that you and I don't really play any part in. We didn't make Jesus come for us. We didn't make him die. We didn't cause him to rise again. He did all of that on his own. It's news of what has been accomplished for us, not by us. It's news about the glory and goodness and graciousness of God through his son, Jesus Christ. It's a good story. It's the great story. 
It's the story that every other great story is only a shadow of. It's the story that every human being longs for in their heart of hearts for someone to come and rescue them and make all that is wrong to come and make it right. It is the great story and all he has called us to do, the first step that he's called us to do in continuing his mission is simply to tell the story of what he already did. It's not hard to tell a story. You just recount what's already happened. Every week I do something weird with my water. The first step in fulfilling and finishing and carrying through the mission of Jesus, which is still continuing, is not finished, is to proclaim the good news. But then he says, that we should proclaim in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Then he tells the disciples, you are witnesses of these things. Now, disciples were witnesses that they were eyewitnesses of watching Jesus' life and watching his death and watching his burial and then seeing him resurrected. They were eyewitness accounts that we have recorded in scripture for us. But whenever he talks about us being, the disciples being witnesses, he's also talking about something that you and I share with the disciples. The disciples were not great men. They were very weak. They were not great men of faith. They were very weak. But God changed their lives. Every one of them had a story of how he found them where they were and changed their lives. And whenever he talks about us being witness, what is a witness? It's somebody who has seen or experienced something that recounts that to other people. And you and I, if you're a believer this morning, have experienced or witnessed, if you will, how Jesus has changed your life and your heart. I know a lot of you guys in here, and I know your story. I know how you met Jesus, and he changed you. I know how he found you in drug abuse and alcohol abuse. I know he found you in your sin. I know how he found you whenever you had been physically and sexually and emotionally abused. Now how he, I know how he found you whenever you were an atheist, you were an agnostic, you were a skeptic, you didn't believe the whole deal. I know how he found you whenever you were running your own way. You grew up in church, but you ran the other way. I know how some of you never even heard of, hardly heard of Jesus and never entered church until he found you. I know stories of broken marriages and broken relationships with parents and with kids and with friends and how he found you and he changed you. And do you know how you are, how you witness to the reality of Jesus, it's sharing with people the story of how he found you and how he's changed you. You, whatever your story is in here, your story might look squeaky clean compared to somebody else or you might be really kind of embarrassed about your story. Don't be embarrassed about your story. Jesus came and found you just like he found each of these disciples and changed them. It doesn't reflect poorly on you because every single human has that, their own story. But if you've been found by Jesus, it reflects beautifully upon him and his graciousness. 
And all you have to tell people is how he changed you and how he found you. In Revelation, it tells us that Satan was overcome by the blood of the lamb, that's the finished work of Jesus on our behalf, and the word of the saint's testimony. People can doubt whether Jesus really died and rose again. But it's hard for them to second guess your story of how he found you and changed you. We proclaim the good news of what he has done and who he is. And we proclaim and share as a witness how he has changed our lives. And then look at this. This should be such encouragement for us this morning. You are witnesses of these things, verse 49, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. That's the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. How do we continue the mission of Jesus that's not finished? We proclaim the good news. We share or witness how he has changed our lives. And then we go in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer this morning, God has clothed you with power from on high. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Holy Spirit that enabled him to go about and proclaim good news to the captives, the same Holy Spirit that enabled Jesus to heal the blind and to heal the lame and to raise the dead, the same Jesus that enabled him to love people sacrificially, the same Jesus that empowered him throughout all of his ministry, through his death, through his resurrection, that same power, that same Holy Spirit which enabled Jesus to do that. If you're a believer this morning, you have been clothed with that power from on high. Not only is the, all that we are given to do is proclaim or share the story of what Jesus has done and to share or witness to how he has changed our lives, but we are to go with God's own power to fulfill his mission. In fact, Jesus didn't go until he was clothed with that power. Whenever he went out to John the Baptist and John uh, recognized that he was the Christ and he baptized him and he comes back up from the, from the water. The Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus in the, in the form of a dove and from then on is when we see Jesus empowered in ministry and that same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus for ministry can empower you for ministry. I think the reason most of us in this room probably don't see more examples of the power of the Holy Spirit, of the power of the the same power that enabled Jesus and empowered him as he walked the earth is because most of us aren't going about his mission. We're not going about sharing, proclaiming the good news and sharing the story of how he has changed us. So therefore, there isn't much need for the Holy Spirit in our lives to empower his work. Or it doesn't seem to be much need. But we desperately need him. We desperately need him to fulfill the mission and we desperately need him in our everyday life. Jesus isn't finished with his mission and it's not just, he doesn't just continue through us, through us just having, continuing his ideas or believing the things that he said. He continues through us in a, re, in a very real way by the, by the empowerment and filling of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit of God. If you're a believer, then you long to see that mission continue, don't you? 
Don't you long to see Jesus glorified? Don't you long to see examples of him showing up in, in our lives, in your life, in powerful ways to fulfill his mission and to glorify the Son? Don't we long for that? Don't you desire to share the joy that comes from sharing with Jesus and his mission? And let's continue the mission that he's called us to to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. That means beginning right where you live to be his witnesses and to go clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what? When we go with that power clothing us, we cannot but be assured of success. He's already, he's already secured success for us by accomplishing redemption on the cross and giving us the power that we need to fulfill his mission on his behalf. Jesus isn't finished with this world. He's not finished with his mission. And lastly, we see in this exchange, this final exchange with his disciples, that Jesus isn't finished with us. Verse 50, then he led them out as far as Bethany, that's on the Mount of Olives, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now, this is really, really interesting to see how the disciples respond here. The disciples who, up to this point, have been kind of dull. Disciples up to this point who just haven't gotten it. Disciples up to this point who have been fearful. Disciples who up to this point have, when the chips were down for Jesus, their master, their teacher, they scattered and were nowhere to be found. These disciples who have been up to this point so fearful and so full of doubts, what Jesus even says to them whenever he shows up in the room, right? Why are you troubled or fearful and why do doubts arise in your heart? These disciples who have been really, you could think, kind of disappointing. Really, they're a lot like us. All of a sudden, when Jesus, they are convinced that Man, Jesus has risen from the dead. He spends, we find out in Acts, he spends 40 days with them, appearing to them. And now he leads them out to the mountain, this mountainside, and he disappears from them. He rises up into heaven, ascends to heaven. And what's their response? You would think they would be like bummed. You would think they would be like, like sad. You would think they would cry at his parting. You would think they would think, man, our captain, our leader just left, man, if we could just take him on a world tour and show everybody, hey, Jesus is risen. Here he is. Look at his scars on his hands and his feet. Look at the hole in his side. Like, we could convince them. If we just had him, he'd be our silver bullet. But now he's left us here alone, and he's left us with it to, con to complete or continue his mission, and now he leaves us. But how do they respond? These disciples up to this point have been so afraid and so full of doubt. It says 
they worshiped him. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they continually were in the temple blessing God. They worshiped him. Something had happened and their hearts had changed. They recognized that Jesus wasn't just a, a good and powerful teacher. He wasn't, they didn't, it wasn't that he, they hoped he was the Messiah. They realized this is the son of God. And the response of these men that had followed him for three years and had seen him in good days, in their good days and their bad days, who had been around him constantly, had eaten with him over and over again and slept in the same room with him, all of a sudden they realize this is the son of God. And their response is they worship him. And that's what happens to every single person who becomes a Christian. I don't know if you've been in church your whole life. You say, I believe the Bible. I believe all these things, the mental check marks on the whole thing that you were talking about, Randy. But something happens in your heart at conversion when you become a Christian where Jesus moves from simply a cool idea to being your personal Lord and your personal Savior. And your heart posture changes to worship of him. Worship means to place highest value upon someone. That's why the picture of worship often has us, we, we, see, we see men drop down on their knees when they worship. Because it's showing you are God and I am not. You are the most valuable and I am not. And I show you the homage and the glory that is due to you. This morning, if you, you may be able to mentally check off all the things that we're supposed to believe about Jesus, but if your heart has never made that flip to where you worship him personally as your Lord and Savior, I pray that would be your experience this morning. They worshiped him. They rejoiced as he left. And then they didn't just, they didn't build like, since then, there's been, a, there's been a shrine built on where they think this happened, but the disciples didn't build a shrine. The disciples didn't build an altar. They didn't build a church building. They didn't say, hey, we're gonna make this like our home base operation and we're gonna, we're gonna build our little compound right here. You know what they did? They went. They left. And they did after they waited in Jerusalem for the power from on high to descend upon them on the day of Pentecost, which we're gonna hit in June, they went. You know what caused their ch this change for them? Back in verse 45 when he says, when it says, then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. Over and over again, one of the things that we've seen in the book of Luke and I don't think that this can be overemphasized, is that the disciples were not great men. They were not great. In fact, they were super ordinary. But you know what happened? Jesus made them great. He took ordinary, super ordinary people and he made them great. He didn't find greatness in them and fish it out and develop it. He made ordinary, super ordinary people like every single person who's sitting in this room. I don't know what kind of success that you have made in life. 
in certain areas. Maybe you've been super successful in business or maybe in your home or maybe in some area like, like you, you've, you've experienced some sort of success. Only you know just how ordinary you are. No matter what somebody has achieved, they still put their pant legs on one, one leg at a time, right? Like we're, we're all ordinary people. And Jesus takes super ordinary, plain people and makes them great. And he can, and he will, wants to, and he will do that in you if you are his disciple. And that's because great people are people who think that they're great. What they usually find is they usually find that they're overqualified to follow Jesus. They think they're overqualified to follow Jesus. But it's those of us who know that we're ordinary who are willing to bow our knee to him and to be used greatly. Hudson Taylor said, God is not looking for men of great faith. He is looking for common men to trust his great faithfulness. God isn't looking for men of great faith. He is looking for common men to trust his great faithfulness. And this happens to us when we've had our minds opened by God to see who he is, to understand that he has left his presence and his, his presence and his power to us, and to recognize that he is coming again. And that as a believer, Jesus has passed his resurrection life and power to us. Think about that. Jesus, if you're a believer this morning, Jesus has passed his resurrection power and his resurrection life to you. And that means that when this is all over, that he'll also pass on his glorified body to us as well. Jesus isn't finished with his world. He's not finished with his mission. And he's not finished with you or with me. We have what the Bible calls a great and blessed hope. That is, he's coming, his resurrection is proof that he's gonna come again and remake and refurbish and redeem this whole world. And between now and then, we get to participate in him to, to with him and with his power and with his presence to complete his mission. Isn't that exciting? We can't lose. There's money in the bank. We are literally, well, not literally, we are, we are playing with house money as a believer. It is secured and you cannot lose it. It's worth risking our lives to share that joy with him because we know nothing can steal it in the end. That better things are ahead for us as believers. And every person that we share with that becomes a believer, the best is yet to come for them as well. Jesus isn't finished. That should be really good news to us this morning. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. 
At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.